You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hi, welcome to Comeback City, where we explore Detroit's past, present, and future. Today, we are talking about Detroit's Art Deco masterpiece, the Fisher Building. We're also going to talk about the Fisher Brothers, the seven men who created the closed body chassis for Cadillac. I'm sure you've heard of Body by Fisher in 1910. The brothers became some of the wealthiest men in the world. This episode is brought to you by Spectacular Strolls. Spectacular Strolls offers 15 historic walks in Detroit. Each walk is a self-guided 20-minute tour. Visit SpectacularStrolls.com to order your next Detroit history adventure. I'm Linda Shepard, and with me today is my guest co-host, Randy Shepard, who's also my husband. Hi, Randy. Hello, Linda. So Randy and I recently toured the Fisher Building with a great guide from Pure Detroit. Pure Detroit offers free tours of several Detroit landmarks every weekend. And if you're interested, check the Pure Detroit website for tour information. So I was totally amazed by my Fisher Building tour. What did you think, Randy? You know, I was real impressed with the guide. He was so knowledgeable. Uh, there's a lot of history in that building. And they and they do other tours, too, which we've got on the Guardian Building. And uh, uh, there also is the uh, Packer plant, too. But I just thought that his knowledge was uh, excellent. Well worth the time and effort. Worth the time and effort. He didn't really want a lot of questions because he's got to get through his spiel. But uh, uh, it was uh, well done and uh, gives you a lot of the history of that building and the era in which it was uh, built, which was a beautiful time for Detroit. Detroit was very energetic then. There was a lot of industry coming in. Uh, everything was just working, working, working uh, in the late uh, 1920s. Yeah, I, you know, the Fisher Building was built at a very exciting time in Detroit history. Uh, during the 1920s, Detroit's industry and population boomed, making Detroit the fastest growing city in the country. Right now, it's comeback city. I'd like to see a little bit more of that boom. It's looking like it's going in the right direction. What do you think, Randy? It sure seems like it. I mean, the restaurants are hopping downtown. There's a lot. It's a food city now. Uh, we have a lot of the industry is coming back, and uh, things are just, like you said, things are happening. There's a lot of building going on and a lot of historic restoration, which is very interesting. But the Fisher Building doesn't need a lot of historic restoration because it's in great shape. It is a gorgeous, beautiful, gorgeous building. Um but let's talk about the 1920s when uh, most of Detroit's iconic buildings were constructed. Uh, the, that includes the Book Building, the Book Cadillac Hotel, the Book Tower, the Fisher Building, the Penobscot Building, and the Fox Theater, and the Guardian Building, also one of Detroit's very beautiful buildings. At the same time, during the 1920s, transportation routes also improved. The Ambassador Bridge spanned the Detroit River in 1929, and the mile-long Detroit-Windsor Tunnel, which took cars beneath the river, opened a year later. So the Fisher Building is Detroit's Art Deco masterpiece. Do you know what Art Deco means, Randy? 
No, I don't, Linda. <laughs> Would you like me to tell you? Would you please? I'd be happy to. Um, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, it's the predominant decorative art style of the 1920s and the 1930s, characterized by precise and boldly delineated geometric shapes and strong colors, and used most notably in household objects and in architecture. So, you know, the Art Deco Fisher Building has been an absolute iconic landmark in Detroit since its completion in 1928. And it is located in the greater New Center area, which is located at the entrance to downtown Detroit, about three miles from downtown Detroit. Um, the New Center area is actually comprised of four distinct neighborhoods, that pinwheel around the intersection of Woodward Avenue and Grand Boulevard. And it's one of the most important traffic arteries connecting the city center with its surrounding neighborhoods. You know, the tower is a 440 feet high. And this building is amazing. I mean, it is constructed of super fancy marbles, mosaics, painted ceilings, a whole lot of brass and bronze. The paintings and the murals on the ceiling were particularly amazing on the tour. What did you think, Randy? Well, part of the tour, they take you up to the third floor, and then and uh, that's where you get a view of the lobbies both going in both directions, and you can almost touch the uh, ceiling. I mean, you have a terrific uh, uh, way to see it up there. I think there. I, I don't remember who was somebody they uh, requisitioned to paint the ceiling. Do you do you know who that would be, Linda? Yes, it was a, a couple different people, um, and they just knocked themselves out on that ceiling. It, it, it's like they've got a couple different themes going on, and. It's yeah. <laughs> are we getting are we getting <laughs> off topic here? We're getting off topic. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's okay. Um, should we talk a little bit about the Fisher brothers? There were seven Fisher brothers: Frederick, William, Edward, Alfred, and Howard. Um, and they made a fortune making auto bodies for Detroit's booming car industry. They were born in Norwalk, Ohio, where their father and two uncles had a blacksmith and carriage shop. The oldest brothers, Fred and Charles, came to Detroit in 1904 and were soon building carriage bodies for emerging automobile manufacturers. Shortly thereafter, the two brothers were joined by the other five, and in 1908, with $50,000, they formed the Fisher Body Corporation. And in 1926, less than 20 years later, they were bought out by General Motors for $208 million, which is actually converted into today's numbers, $2.65 billion. So their parents were carriage makers, and the family was very close. They had kind of a mentality of one for all and one for all for one. 
They were responsible for creating the closed body chassis for Cadillac in 1910, and this development not only transformed the automobile from a pleasure vehicle into the indispensable, world-changing, all-weather, year-round form of transportation it is today. It also transformed the brothers into filthy, rich businessmen. They had started the business with $50,000, and just 18 years later, they were bought out for $2.5 billion in today's money. Now, is, did they use the money they got from selling the business to finance the building, uh, the construction of the building? The construction of the build, the building, the Fisher Building was a gift to Detroit from the Fisher Brothers. They... Settled on their headquarters there. All their business offices were located in the building. But that is that was a gift to the city. <coughs> um, once they built this building, once they built this business, and once they sold it to General Motors, they just started investing in oil, railroad, aviation equipment, banking, real estate. But they were pretty publicity shy. Not many Detroiters knew much about the Fisher brothers. And there's not too much out there about them. There's not too much history about the brothers. They they were such a close group. They looked and dressed the same. A photo of the seven brothers at the building's dedication shows seven men all in trench coats and all wearing flat straw skimmer hats. Most of the brothers lived in the Detroit, in Detroit, in the Boston Boulevard area. There, you know, there is a picture of all the brothers uh, in the lobby of the Fisher Building, and it's highlighted on the tour where they show everybody there for, for the groundbreaking. I encourage anyone who goes over to the Fisher Brother and takes the tour, or if you just happen to be there, to go check out those pictures. They're amazing. It's it's great to see those Fisher Brothers, and there's some beautiful, gorgeous pictures of the Fisher Theater before it was renovated. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little while. Um, I wanted to talk about one of the Fisher Brothers, Lawrence Fisher, who is a, kind of an interesting guy. They were such a close-knit group and, like I said, publicity shy, but he was the single brother. Um, He was the fourth of 11 children of the Fisher family. And if there was someone that was kind of flamboyant in that family, it was Lawrence Fisher. So most of the Fisher brothers had their homes on Boston Boulevard, but Lawrence Fisher um, he contracted with C. Howard Crane, who was a great theater architect, to design his house on the Detroit River. In a he, he created an enormous Mediterranean-style villa. Fisher was also a close friend of William Randolph Hearst, who was building his San Simeon Hearst Castle estate in California at the same time. So some people think that maybe Lawrence Fisher wanted a Detroit home to rival San Simeon. uh, Lawrence Fisher was named the president of the Cadillac division of GM when he was just 25 years old and was called the boy president in the newspapers. As a bachelor, he entertained many Hollywood stars at his home on the Detroit River. 
When young, he had wanted to marry, but his mother objected because the young woman was not the same religion as Lawrence. But when Fisher was sixty-two, and after his mother died, he married the woman, Dolly Roach. I recently discovered a newspaper story about the wedding, which occurred at Watersmeet, the family fishing lodge in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Fisher's sister-in-law was quoted as saying the family was thrilled and had known Dolly for decades. But after ten years of marriage, Lawrence Fisher was stricken ill while he was entertaining Dwight Eisenhower and his brothers at Watermeet and died. Today, Lawrence Fisher's vast twenty-two thousand square foot estate is owned by the Hari Krishna. Several years ago, I toured the Hari Krishna estate. That was formerly Lawrence Fisher's home with my brother, and the Hari Krishna have kept the house in beautiful shape, and they are more than happy to give anyone who's interested a tour. Are, are they still in there? They still have the house. They're still in there. I drove yeah. past it just recently, and the signs are up that the Hari Krishna are there. They've done a beautiful job of maintaining the historical integrity of that building. It's beautiful. So the Fisher brothers often used their wealth to better the city and its people. They gave millions to countless charities, civic causes, churches, educational institutions, and to making Detroit one of the finest cities in the world. So, as I said, the Fisher Building was a gift to the city of Detroit from the Fisher brothers, and they commissioned. Albert Kahn in 1927, and essentially told him to go wild and gave him free reign. They told him to build the most beautiful building of the in the world, and that project would not be sacrificed in any way in order to save money. It was an architect's dream project. The brothers wanted more than just an office tower to serve as the company's headquarter. They wanted the building to also serve as a, as a center for shopping and entertainment. They did not plan on profiting from the building; they viewed it as a gift to Detroit. Twenty years earlier, the Fisher brothers were near, neither wealthy nor famous. Now they were loaded, known around the world, and would have a beautiful soaring skyscraper to prove it. So, I want to talk a little bit about Grand Boulevard, which I said is approximately three miles north of the center of downtown Detroit, which is generally regarded as Campus Martius. That's the center of the city, and that's where all the mile roads are measured from, and. Grand Boulevard was built in 1891, and it would circumscribe the farthest border of the city at the time in a giant arch, starting at Belle Isle, which is Detroit's beautiful public park. And it was inspired by wide Parisian boulevards with stately homes, ornamental trees, and elaborate displays of flowers. At the time, real estate in downtown Detroit was expensive. 
especially when you needed as much land for building a, a building the size of the Fisher Building. And even if money were no object, just finding enough land for such a product project was no easy feat. Because of this, a second downtown, the new center, as it would be come to be known, had started sprouting in 1915. And the first major building in the new center was the Albert Kahn designed General Motors building. Serving that, as the automaker's headquarters. That was built before the Fisher Building? Yes. Now it is known as Cadillac Place because GM moved out of it in the 90s and into the Renaissance Center. Um, the Fisher Brothers became the first tenant in the General Motor build, Motors Building when it was completed in 1920. So Fred Fisher... The oldest of the brothers announced on January 15th, 1927, that they had bought 32 parcels of land on the block bounded by West Grand Boulevard, Lothrop and 2nd and 3rd Avenues, and more than $30 million was to be spent to erect a planned, sprawling three-tower complex. Only one of the three spires was built. But the Fisher Brothers still spent $9 million, which translates to $116 million today, on the building, excluding the cost of the theater. Of that money, it has been said that 25%, which is about $29 million today, went to art and decoration of the building. So the first shovel of dirt was turned August 22nd, 1927, at a groundbreaking ceremony, which was also attended by Michigan Governor Fred Green and Detroit Mayor John Smith. So this building, I mean, when it was completed, 12,000 tons of steel was used. 350,000 cubic yards of concrete and marble was used. The building has 1,800 bronze windows, 641 bronze elevator doors, inside and outside of the elevator cars, 420 tons of bronze finishing, 46,000 square feet of concrete forms, 41,000 barrels of cement, 100,000 yards of sand and gravel, and 1,275 miles of electrical and telephone wire and cable. The Fisher is the largest marble-clad commercial building in the world. So, Randy, how long do you think it took to build this building? You know, what amazes me is that they were able to construct this building in just 15 months, which I think is unheard of uh, for a building of that size. I believe they had over 200 tradespeople working on it. And I, I heard some rumors or I, I saw something about some of the uh, tradespeople came to work wearing suits. Just to honor the whole project. I, I think so, yes. Kind of to respect the entire endeavor. 
you know, by the time the building was finished in December of 1928, it was 60% occupied, which was an astonishing feat, considering the level of craft, craftsmanship and the sheer size of the place. So um, the tower, 441 feet high, is flanked by two 11-story flat-roofed wings. Um, and that, that building uh, occupies 1.134 million square feet of floor area. So, and it includes an arcade and 14 and 18 foot corridors, which actually takes up quite a bit of the square footage. The architect for the Fisher Building is Albert Kahn, who is a very familiar name in Detroit's history. He is responsible for a lot of the very beautiful buildings. In Detroit. And Albert Kahn was born in Prussia in 1869. His father was a rabbi and came to Detroit in the 1870s. In 1880, he brought his family to the city when Albert was 11 years old. Because the family was poor, Albert Kahn left school in the seventh grade, but he was fortunate to find two mentors, Julius Melchers, a Detroit artist and sculptor who taught him drawing, and George Mason, a Detroit architect who taught him design. Mason designed the Detroit Yacht Club, the enormous Masonic Temple, which is a very familiar building to a lot of Detroiters, and Mackinac Island's Grand Hotel. One of Albert Kahn's earliest projects, an assignment from Julius Melchers and George Mason (coughs) was to design the porch for the Grand Hotel. By 1896, Albert Kahn formed his own architectural firm. He was famous for creating the 20th Century Factory, and he was the first architect to actually design a factory. Up until then, factories were generally referred to as mills and were dark, cramped, and dangerous and had been unchanged for centuries. Albert Kahn was a small man. He was only five feet four and worked 14-hour days, always with a coat, vest, and tie. While designing factories was actually his bread and butter, he remained passionate about art. He exhibited his sketches in Detroit art shows. He judged art exhibits at the Scarab Club and elsewhere. He lectured on art and took regular trips to Europe to study and sketch monuments and buildings. Kahn believed skyscrapers to be America's greatest contribution to architecture, but he despised the grid of streets found in American cities like New York. Kahn had his own philosophy about modern skyscrapers, and he believed they deserved an exterior treatment expressive of the sculpture, sculpture, structure, sorry, but he was wary of un, any indulgence in the strange or the bizarre, both of which he felt were too often mistaken for originality. So Art Deco is 
short for Art Decorelatifs from the International Exhibition of Modern Decorative and Industrial Arts held in Paris in 1925. It combined modernistic styles with fine craftsmanship and rich materials. During its heyday, Art Deco represented luxury, glamour, exuberance, and faith in social and technological process. So, up until this point, Kahn had decorated most of his interiors in more traditional styles with classical or Renaissance details. But the Fisher marked a departure. While far more modest than the Guardian Building's interior, the Fisher was far more modern for its time than Kahn's <coughs> past work. Most of the artwork and decoration reflects American culture. Tramp, commerce, transportation, art, and agriculture are all represented throughout. So, for the sculptures, mosaics, and frescoes, Kahn turned to Giza R. Marathi, an artist from Budapest, Hungary. Marathi was a leader in his nation's art movement, and Hungary entrusted him to prepare foreign exhibitions and decorate the buildings for them. He also was associated with Eli Saarinen and working at the renowned Cranbrook Schools in Bloomfield Hills. Marathi packed his work in the Fisher with symbolism, focusing mostly on two ideas— the wealth and power of the United States expressed through commerce and transportation and American culture and civilization through music and drama. That artwork is unbelievable. What did you think of it, Randy? Which artwork are you talking about? On the ceilings. Oh, on the ceilings? It's gorgeous. It's like going to uh, the Louvre in Paris or something of that nature. I mean, it's just... Uh, very well done, very intricate. I mean, I, I can't believe they did the whole thing in 15 months. It must have taken forever to do that. So eagles with their wings slightly open, ready to take flight, symbolize an America ready to advance to greater things. Other eagles in and on the fissure have their wings outstretched, symbolizing the power of the United States. Those with their wings tucked in in a sheltering manner show the nation's strength and that it is sound. The ver victorious eagles of Zeus, with their wings spread against a purple background, hover above the entrance to the theater. They echo those that flew above the conquering armies of Greece and signify the dedication of theater to high ideals, the genius and freedom of creativity and art, and the progress of drama. The elaborate frescoes were designed by Marathi, but carried out by eighth artists Antonio and Tomas Di Lorenzo of New York City. The paint to paint these things, the painters stood on top of massive scaffolds to give the arcade the right touch that Albert Kahn said. More than twenty thousand dollars, which is about two hundred sixty-five thousand dollars today went into the fresco work alone, covering the ceiling in gold leaf and endless oil color. So when he was producing each piece of decoration, Marathi first 
rendered it in a full-size cartoon form before it was painted on the ceiling. Amazingly, it took only two months to hand-paint the arcade's huge canvas. Making the effort even more impressive was Marathi's biggest challenge. He had to make the ceilings as stunning from the ground as they were from the third-floor galleries. No easy trick. And I think that's something that I really noticed on the tour was that I was very conscious every time I'd been in the building of those gorgeous mosaics on the ceiling. But it wasn't until we actually took the elevator to the third floor and got so close to them that I really appreciated them. You can't really appreciate, you can't really see the detail until you do go up to the third floor. It's open to the public. Anyone can go up there. Uh, and it's uh, well worth the, uh, the trip. So the symbolical designs tackle subjects like agriculture, art, justice, knowledge, music, navigation, peace, and thrift. Um, that three-story arcade is furnished entirely in marble, mostly Carthage marble, except for the ceilings and the three mosaic tile direction decorations. The arcade also has fluted marble pillars, each in a different color, but still in perfect harmony. The floors are very hued Italian marble in warm tones of rose, light browns, and creams. They are similar in design to the floors of many churches in Rome, which Kahn often cited as an influence on his work. The floors of the second and third floored concourses are Tennessee marble, and their walls are polished European marble. So the Fisher is not just about art. It's also about commerce, and there are shops throughout the building on the first three floors. Um, the mosaics are actually centered near the center of the arcade, where the north and west halls meet. It, they are nearly 10 feet tall with an arched top, and the mosaics have been painted in gold, blues, grays, greens, oranges, and siennas. Set into the floor of the fissure is a large bronze shield in low relief. It features a semi-nude figure of Mercury, the god of transportation, and the bearer of messages, running. Around the shield are inlaid marble in warm browns, creams, and reds. The four principal bronze inlays are semi-nude figures symbolizing the four elements of the ancient world, air, earth, fire, and water. Sadly, many of the details have been eroded by decades of Detroiters walking over it, and at this time it's been roped off to prevent further damage. So the Fisher brothers had their suite near the top of the tower. Their 26th floor reception room was often called the world's most exclusive club and the most lavishly finished office space in the world of business. The 25th through 27th floors had a dining room, kitchen, living room, and private elevator. It was outfitted with Persian rugs, massive hand-carved desks, rich walnut paneling, bronze chandeliers, 
and scrolled plaster ceilings. It was the site of daily informal family meetings, which the brothers combined with lunch every workday at 12.45 p.m. Uh, When we had our tour, they talked about a carousel on one of the upper floors. Uh, That carousel is not uh, in existence today, but the pictures of it were beautiful. Was it used as a daycare center, Randy? I don't know if it's used as a day. Well, yes, it was. As a matter of fact, I think but it was. I think a place it was on the fourth floor for shoppers to take their children. Right. It was gorgeous, and I guess that carousel has been dismantled, and it's now an office, which is a shame. So, in 1928, the Architectural League of New York awarded Albert Kahn a silver medal for the most beautiful commercial building erected that year. Um, so the building is very visible to visitors to Detroit because in the distance you see the tower with its green roof, but when it was built, it was a gold roof. Right now it's green, but it was gold. I mean, when we drive up I-75, you see that Fisher building. Especially at night, the way they have it lit up. They have it lit up and it's gorgeous. It is absolutely beautiful. So it got its nickname of the Golden Tower because it was originally covered in gold leaf face tile. But during World War II, (coughs) it was feared that the glistening tower would become a target for bombings. So it was covered with an asphalt material. After the war, the asphalt couldn't be removed without damaging it. So it was replaced with green terracotta tile. I'm thinking the asphalt was probably a bad idea. I I think so, too, especially since I don't think there were any bombings that occurred. I don't think so either. (laughs) The L-shaped landmark was originally supposed to be a three-building complex and the largest commercial building in the world. There was to have been a taller 60-story Central Tower flanked by the current 29-story tower on the right and an identical tower on the left. So this is why the tower of the Fisher Building is aligned to the far right instead of centered. The Great Depression, which hit the year after the building opened, shelved the grand plans to build the two other towers. Um, the Fisher, the New Center, and the General Motors buildings are all joined together by a series of underground passageways lined with shops. These tunnels are still open today, although many of the storefronts are not in use. We actually went through the tunnel, didn't we, Randy? Yes, we did go into the tunnel. There are shops down there uh, and shops on the main floor. Uh, but I think that the state of Michigan has taken over the uh, the old uh, GM building, and they had the tunnel closed off. You can't get through like you could before. So um, the skyscraper, of which the Fisher Building is one, owes as much to elevators as it does to steel. Most elevators in the city had elevator attendants at the time the Fisher was building was built. And its express elevators 
uh, traveled 800 feet per minute. Okay, we can compare that to the Taipei 101 tower in Taiwan, which goes really fast at 3,314 feet per minute. But 800 feet per minute in 1928 was a big thrill ride. <laughs> yeah, that's fast enough, I'm sure. <laughs> that was plenty fast enough. So Albert Kahn not only helped revolutionaries re- revolutionize the way the world built its factories, he also changed the way the world parked its cars. The Fisher Building was built with an eleven-story parking garage in the rear, with room for one thousand one hundred cars. The garage was attached to the building, so tenants who worked on the first eleven floors. Were afforded the len- then luxury of parking on the same floor as their office. I mean, this must have been such a revolutionary idea in 1928. They probably didn't have parking garages before that. I mean, they barely had cars before that. That's true. You know, so I guess you know if you've got a car, you want to park it. In- I mean, this must have been just the place to have an office. You could park your car on the same floor as your office building. Oh yes, oh yes, amazing. So,、um, a huge innovation was the garage's ramp system, which was worked out at the General Motors proving ground. Albert Kahn implemented a double helix design that allowed cars to go down and up on the same ramp at the same time. Today, most garages actually use the same technique. But at the same time, but at that time, Kahn's garage was groundbreaking. Um, so we leave the 1920s and the 1930s, and we move into the 40s, and the 50s, and the 60s, when、uh, actually that garage helped keep the Fisher tenants remain. Uh, because Detroiters were beginning to move to the suburbs and commuting into work, by 1950, 90% of Americans used a car to get around. So parking was absolutely essential to most office building success. So I think most people think of the Fisher Building as the home of the Fisher Theater, and we've been there many times. Also,、uh, one of the f- First tenants, I think, of the Fisher Building was W. J. R. Up at the top of the tower. At the top of the tower, and they would advertise that they're still there. And they're still there. They're、yes. still there. Yes, for sure. Yep.、But、so you know they've always taken a big role in entertainment. Yep. For sure.、Um, when it was built, the Fisher Theater actually opened as a vaudeville theater and a movie house. And the theater was actually kind of detached from the entrances to the building, which allowed for the arcade to effectively serve as a foyer for the theater at night and a business passageway by day. And it also allowed for the theater to be approached from any of the building's four entrances or the garage. So the theater was actually designed by another architect. Um, the firm of Anchor Graven and Arthur Major, and originally sat about three thousand people. 
It had an exotic Mayan temple theme and golden ivory, complete with tropical trees and plants in the lobby, and macaws that patrons could feed by hand. A macaw's a bird, right? Yes, it is. (laughs) So banana trees filled the foyer, and turtles and goldfish filled the pond. Mayan statues flanked the stairs, and the theater had hieroglyphic-like figures around the top of the ceiling. It was it was an over-the-top design and meant to evoke a sense of wonder in moviegoers. This uh, type of decoration was extremely popular in the 1920s, after the discovery of King Tut's tomb in Egypt. The United States at the time was obsessed with ancient civilizations, and many movie palaces going up at the time took on the field of such temples, and the Fox Theater and the Fisher are included. The theater's seats were described as golden olive and upholstered in velvet. The stage was large enough to accommodate almost any size production, including grand operas. So in the early 1930s, the Fisher was run by the Paramount Publix claim chain, but it also showed many stage productions. But by the 1950s, the Fisher was showing only <coughs> movies. And the mighty Wurlitzer organ was removed in 1956. So um, at this time, Detroit, the country... The world was really kind of taken over. Entertainment was had been a lot of it had been taken over by television, stealing audiences away from movie palaces, and the Fisher Theater began to struggle. So, for the last few years of the 1950s, it began showing second-run movies. And the last movie to show there was The Magnificent Seven in 1960. So in 1961, the Niederlander family, a very well-known figure in the Detroit theater business to today, until today also, they took over the Fisher Theater. Working with Lawrence Fisher, the Niederlanders stripped the venue of its temple theme and replaced it with a far tamer, more modern look, designed by the firm Rap and Rap. I mean, what do you think of the theater when you go into it now? It seems really pretty plain to me when I go into the theater. Well, compared to some of the theaters in New York or perhaps Chicago. Or the Paris, Fox Theater, which the kept that, that temple theme going. But you, you got to remember, it is a big theater. It probably seats over 2,000 people, which is huge. Well, the original 3,500 seats were cut back to 2,089 seats, which is still a ton of seats. Still a big theater. So, um, yeah, they replaced that temple theme with dark woods and earth-toned marble and a large bronze sculpture of a female figure on a white marble pedestal was added to the lobby. So at this point, the theater would now only show legitimate theater plays. Marble, wood, bronze, and crystal done in a modern style were accented by gold, white, and walnut. 
That co- renovation cost nearly $4 million. And after it was over, it was beautiful. Lawrence Fisher died about a month before the grand opening, October 2nd, 1961. So the Fisher Theater was the last of the great movie palaces to be built in Detroit. These great temples were the product of the prosperity and ebullience of the period that immediately preceded the Great Depression. So on December 7th in 1962, it was announced that the Fisher and the 11-story New Center building, which is now actually known as the Albert Kahn building across the street, were sold for $15 million by the four surviving Fisher brothers to a Detroit real estate partnership headed by prominent investors Louis Berry and George Seaburn. It was one of the biggest real estate transactions in Detroit history at the time. Detroit financier and philanthropist Max Fisher had a 25% stake in what became as the Fisher News Center Company. At the time of the sale, the Fisher housed hundreds of businesses and professional offices, shops, and in the Fisher, the studios of WJR AM 760. Still there. Also included in the sale were parking lots and other Fisher properties in the cities. So the Fisher building is actually a city within a city. It's more expensive to operate than a small city. In 1970, it was determined that the operating costs of the Fisher and the new center buildings were more than $3.1 million a year. And that is actually seven times the cost of running a 3,000-person city. For example, Utica. The Fisher had 18 full-time security guards compared with Utica's eight police officers. Also on the building's payroll at the time, 100 cleaning workers, 30 garage attendants, 15 painters, 12 electricians, 12 utility workers, four carpenters, three plumbers, and one locksmith. The building's annual payroll alone was one more than $1.25 million. In 1970, the Fisher had 385 tenants, 20 stores, the Recess Club, two art galleries, the theater, and WJR. More than 5,000 people worked there and 21,000 came through the building's doors every day. In 1974, the Fisher was sold again, this time to the Canada-based real estate company, Trizec. On July, July 1st, 2001, the Farbman Group of Southfield, Michigan, bought the Fisher and Albert Kahn building for about $30 million. The company's president and chief executive officer, David Farbman, has a special tie to the buildings. Albert Kahn was his great-granduncle. The Fisher and Kahn building's fortunes had changed. Not only had the Detroit real estate market gone soft as the city's population dwindled and companies moved their headquarters into the suburbs, but GM left its longtime headquarters and moved thousands of employees to the Renaissance Center in the late 1990s. 
You know, sitting at Detroit's geographical and metaphorical center, the Fisher Building is emerging once again as an engine of creativity and hub for the city of Detroit. Through cultural programming and exhibitions, the Fisher Building will host just a dialogue between its site and new center in neighborhoods across the city. The aim is to reconnect the city's residents with one another through ongoing exchange and conversation and establish a platform for expression that will be shared with the wider world. This event series is part of the Fisher Beacon Project. You know, that Fisher Building is really amazing, Randy. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we took a tour of the Guardian Building just a few weeks before, which I had always considered one of Detroit's most beautiful building, but I think the Fisher Building blew it out of the water. Well, it's it's a lot bigger for one thing. It's it's just it's so ornate. It's so well constructed. Going up on that third floor really made the difference, where you could actually see those murals up close and actually almost be able to touch them. Well, they t- they also took us up to the twenty third floor, and you could see all the way to the bridge and. Uh, uh, all the way north, south, all over. So it's a gorgeous building. It kind of gave you a whole a good idea of the whole Detroit area. I mean, the skyscrapers of Detroit in the distance. But that was the other thing that I really noticed about the Fisher Building. That Fisher Building is set in the center of several neighborhoods. Uh-huh. And that whole city within a city design was designed to let people walk over there and, you know, it's kind of almost like the first mall in a way because it was covered and you could go shopping and you didn't have to go outside and you had the carousel up on the fourth floor. To, sure. To a smaller degree, yes. Your children and it had restaurants in it and it was just an amazing idea. And we owe the Fisher Brothers for this gorgeous building. I, I think I think you're right. Don't we owe them for making peanuts too? <laughs> Fisher Peanuts? Yes. Is that, a, <laughs> is that a different Fisher? I think that might be a different Fisher that you're thinking of, Randy. Okay. <laughs> well, I think we're done here. Um, I hope you've enjoyed our history of the Fisher Building. I encourage everyone to go over there, take a look at it, uh, take special care to look at the marble, look at the floors, and take the elevator up to the third floor to get an up-close and personal look at those absolutely gorgeous mosaics. Yeah. Uh, just also, look at the history display that's on the north entrance. Over by the Pure the Detroit store. It's by the Pure Detroit store, and it's, uh, it kind of lays out. You can see pictures of the people that were prominent back in the time. You can see the it's Fisher Brothers. It's very interesting, yes. Yeah. You can see the groundbreaking. You can see what the Fisher Theater looked like before they turned it from a Mayan temple into a very toned-down yep. 60s-type you know, very modern, kind of mid-century modern building, very, very different in tone than from its original design. Yep. And also Pure Detroit, once again, has tours, free tours every Saturday and Sunday. I Check think, out their website. Yeah, I think they're at 1 and 3. Uh, 1 and 3 o'clock. On Saturday, anyway. On, on yeah. Saturdays and Sundays. Yep. All righty. Okay. Well, thank, thank 